welcome to Justice Today, the official podcast of the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, where we shine a light on cutting-edge research and practices and offer an in-depth look at what we're doing to meet the biggest public safety challenges of our time. Join us as we explore how funding, science, and technology help us achieve strong communities. Hello, my name is Stacey Lou Reynolds, a communications assistant supporting the National Institute of Justice, or NIJ. I'm your host for this episode of Justice Today. My guest is Yansu Park, a social science analyst with NIJ's Office of Research, Evaluation, and Technology. At NIJ, Yansu currently works on topics related to services and programs for victims of crime, gender-based violence, including campus sexual assault, and elder abuse. She is also a licensed clinical psychologist with a PhD in clinical psychology from Emory University. Welcome, Yansu. Thanks, Stacey. Great to be here. Elder abuse is widespread in the United States, with as much as 11% of community residing older adults aged 60 years or older experiencing some form of abuse or mistreatment in the past year, with some global estimates being as high as one in six in community settings. First, let's start with a definition of elder abuse. What kind of behaviors are considered elder abuse? So elder abuse is an intentional act or a failure to act appropriately that involves harm or distress, uh, failure to provide an essential service, or um, a deprivation of basic needs to an older adult, usually around age 60 to 65 and up. Uh, And elder abuse primarily includes five categories, uh, physical abuse, emotional or psychological abuse, sexual abuse, financial exploitation, and neglect. Uh, The abuse occurs within a relationship of trust, which means um, the abuse is committed by someone where there's an expectation of trust and or the abuse can also occur when the older person is targeted based on their age or disability. And existing research shows us that older adults are at risk for polyvictimization or uh, experiencing a range of different types of abuse and mistreatment. Can you go into more detail about how polyvictimization is defined? Yes. So polyvictimization is the co-occurrence of multiple or different forms of abuse and victimization. Uh, It may include one or more perpetrators of abuse, and generally these are people um, with whom the elder adult has a personal or professional relationship um, that is characterized by a societal expectation of trust. And polyvictimization can occur in a lot of different ways, so multiple co-occurring types of abuse, a single type of abuse by multiple people, Uh, multiple types of abuse committed by a single person and um, some other potential combinations. And there really is no single definition of polyvictimization in the elder abuse uh, field. And um, a recent NIJ-funded study suggested that a broad and inclusive definition of polyvictimization is most relevant since multiple types of uh, polyvictimization are related to um, poor outcomes. And it wasn't until recently um, that the polyvictimization framework was used to study elder abuse, even though 
Uh, previous work has shown uh, frequent instances of co-occurring elder abuse. Oh, okay. And there's evidence that uh, many elder abuse victims experience polyvictimization, with some recent research from a few years ago showing that about 2% of older adults experience past year polyvictimization. Uh, in a nationally representative sample of community residing older adults in the United States. So this translates to about 970,000 older adults um, in the U.S. But uh, these rates vary by region and social cultural factors and um, may even be higher in some instances. Can you discuss some of the difficulties that arise when trying to define and study elder abuse polyvictimization? It can get really complicated to study how different types of abuse or maltreatment intersect. Um, there's likely a range of different dynamics and risk factors that are involved um, depending on the elder abuse type, but studying each abuse type separately provides a fairly limited view. Uh, we know that in most cases, abusive behaviors are not isolated events, meaning that different types of abusive behaviors co-occur and are related. And this makes it hard to understand and pinpoint specific impacts and um, to identify the most appropriate intervention response. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really complicated. Yeah. And there um, is also no standardized method to define and assess elder abuse, meaning that People use different strategies to define elder abuse categories and to determine um, elder, elder abuse rates. And there's no um, appropriate or comprehensive so-called gold standard measure of elder victimization that um, takes this polyvictimization framework into account. And since there is no such standardized method, you get different rates and different estimates across studies which makes it hard to understand the full picture. Um, most definitions of polyvictimization include the co-occurrence of multiple types of abuse, as I spoke to earlier. Um, but some definitions also consider um, experiencing a single type of abuse repeatedly to also be polyvictimization. And there's also research that suggests that elder polyvictimization should include um, the range of victimization experiences across the lifespan and not just those that happen in older ages, uh, which then brings um, many complex experiences and relationships and risk factors um, into play. And also, if you have more than one perpetrator involved, um, it also raises some similar challenges. I see there are a lot of things to consider when discussing elder abuse polyvictimization. Um, now, how often does elder abuse in general go unreported? So the current prevalence rates are likely underestimates because of underreporting. Um, there are reports estimating that for every one reported case of elder abuse or neglect, there are about five cases that are unreported. So this means that the true prevalence rates are probably about five times higher. Now, how hard is it to study elder abuse polyvictimization if researchers don't have a full picture of the extent of the problem? So there's evidence that many elder abuse victims experience polyvictimization, 
And um, that looking at just one type of victimization really limits our understanding um, of the complex and diverse issues that are involved. There may be a wide range of different and complex factors, um, different contexts and different behaviors that are um, important to recognize. And failing to understand this can lead to um, inappropriate and incorrect assumptions um, and it can also um, hinder effective intervention or prevention strategies. And examining just one type of victimization alone may not capture the range of victimization experiences for many older adults. Um, and, and practitioners may uh, attribute some negative outcomes um, to just one single type of victimization when actually the negative outcomes are due to the cumulative burden of experiencing uh, multiple forms of victimization across the lifespan um, and in different settings and contexts. So we also need to better understand the associations between early life victimization and stressors and um, late life abuse and the cumulative impact of these experiences. Um, and this type of polyvictimization framework in some other fields, like, you know, in fields such as child abuse and youth violence, um, this, this has shown that the um, effect of different types of victimization is uh, a better predictor of different mental and physical health outcomes than any one single type of victimization. And incorporating this perspective to study elder abuse can also help us to understand um, this comprehensive lifespan burden of victimization for elders. But we um, currently don't know what those patterns of polyvictimization look like in, in elder adults. Is that because of the lack of standard method to measure polyvictimization? Yes. Um, as I mentioned, there's no standard way to define and measure elder abuse polyvictimization um, that has been used consistently in the field. So, um, you know, on the part of the practitioner, um, this also raises some complex challenges. Um, since a lot of elder abuse victims do experience polyvictimization, we know that they probably need uh, more extensive assistance and um, a range of services to address um, all of their concerns and needs. But um, it's difficult to know how to best address these range of issues since we don't um, yet have a comprehensive understanding of the problem and many of the um, complicated factors and pathways and the impacts um, across the lifespan. What are some of the risk factors for elder abuse polyvictimization? So, of course, there are um, general risk factors um, for elder abuse, like um, poor health, poverty, uh, low educational achievement, chronic medical conditions, um, etc. Um, also, we know that one of the biggest risk factors for being subjected to violence is prior victimization. Recent research has shown um, that compared to elder non-victims and elders who experience just a single form of victimization, um, that elder abuse polyvictims have more problems accomplishing various daily activities, things like grocery shopping, 
um, paying bills, getting dressed. And um, poly victims are more likely to need assistance. They're also more likely to have limited social support, so not having that connection to others. Um, and also, they're more likely to report past experience of traumatic events, so um, things like a major accident or a natural disaster. Um, there's also some evidence suggesting um, that family members are more likely to engage in multiple forms of elder abuse um, compared to uh, perpetrators who are not related to the older adult. What are some of the implications elder abuse polyvictimization has for physical and mental health outcomes? There's research showing that experiencing any form of elder abuse is associated with a range of serious physical and mental health problems like depression and anxiety, uh, malnutrition, um, severe bodily injuries, and also premature death. There's also some recent research specifically on elder polyvictimization, which shows that uh, poly victims experience lower cognitive function, so problems with memory and processing speed. Um, they also experience um, lack of self-esteem, uh, feelings of powerlessness, and um, different types of mental health issues like post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's also evidence that um, elder adults who experience polyvictimization um, experience worse outcomes compared to those who experience primarily um, a single type of victimization. So, for example, um, elder adults who experience both financial exploitation and physical abuse um, and or neglect, um, they're more likely to be in poorer health uh, when compared to um, elder adults who experience financial exploitation in isolation. And these poly victims were also more likely to experience potentially stressful life changes. So for example, um, to be appointed a guardian, um, which consists of a significant loss of freedom and, and is often dreaded by the elder adult. Um, they're also more likely to experience um, a change in living arrangements, which can also be very stressful and traumatic for elder adults. Um, and uh, poly victims are also more likely to have um, a subsequent adult protective services report filed um, regarding possible maltreatment, which suggests that these elder adults are at continued risk for abuse. Um, based on research um, on youth and non-elderly adults, we know that the total number of types of victimization is um, a better predictor of mental and physical health status compared to any one single type of victimization. So taking this polyvictimization perspective can really help us to more comprehensively understand um, risk and protective factors and outcomes. Can you talk about some recent studies that NIJ has funded on the topic of elder abuse polyvictimization? Yeah, so one recent study by researchers at the University of Texas Health Science Center uh, used a large multi-year statewide adult protective services data set to study individual level, perpetrator level, and community level risk factors for elder abuse. And the researchers found that there are different factors involved in different forms of abuse, um, specifically looking at um, pure financial exploitation 
versus um, polyvictimization. So what they called hybrid FE, and this is um, hybrid financial exploitation with other forms of abuse. Um, and importantly, the research showed that the presence of an apparent injury had um, the greatest importance in predicting um, polyvictimization or hybrid financial exploitation versus um, pure financial exploitation. And that um, hybrid financial exploitation was associated with um, a range of negative quality of life issues. So um, things like uh, lack of appropriate medical supervision um, and inadequate food supplies. The study also found that alcohol and drug use by others in the home was more predictive of uh, hybrid financial exploitation or polyvictimization. And another um, recent NIJ study um, by uh, researchers at the at the University of Texas um, Health Science Center used the same data set to operationalize elder abuse polyvictimization and to look at associations with mental and physical health, uh, mortality, um, and prior exposure to violence. And this study suggested that um, a broad and inclusive definition of polyvictimization is the most relevant since multiple types um, of polyvictimization are related to poor health, um, poor mental health, and mortality. And the study also found that multiple types of co-occurring abuse, regardless of the number of perpetrators, is associated with increased odds of death, um, also dementia and depression. And the study um, found that when older victims present with um, poorly explained injuries, uh, when they present with limited social networks, um, hazardous living conditions, uh, and a history of violence, so either intimate partner violence or domestic violence, um, that they are more likely to be experiencing multiple types of abuse by a single perpetrator. Now, can you discuss some strategies for intervention and prevention? Um, there likely is no uh, blanket intervention uh, and prevention for elder abuse, especially in the context of polyvictimization. Um, with that said, we should consider family and community-based strategies that uh, consider factors beyond just focusing on the individual elder adults. Uh, we know that poly victims are more likely to have limited social support. So encouraging and supporting these social connections is really important. Um, also educating um, elder adults about how to maintain their independence and safety um, promotes their well-being. And one way to do this um, is uh, with formalized programs. Um, one recently closed NIJ-funded study um, by researchers at the University of Southern California found that um, a program that's designed to educate, support, and link caregiving dyads with service and, services and supports, um, that this program was associated with lower levels of elder mistreatment and um, higher social quality of life um, after three months. And another um, recently um, closed NIJ-funded study by researchers at the Urban Institute found that um, a program that focuses on resiliency and also provides resources 
that this program was associated with um, a range of positive outcomes related to safety and well-being. And in addition to um, focusing on the victims, we also need to think about addressing risks and needs of the people who commit the acts of abuse. Um, For example, people who perpetrate financial exploitation and other forms of abuse may frequently experience some significant life stressors or have other risk factors like unemployment, um, substance abuse, uh, and criminal history. So by providing help and assistance and meeting their needs, uh, for example, through mental health supports and treatment, uh, this may reduce uh, certain instances of elder abuse. Um, Also, given that a close family member or a relative may be the ones who are committing the acts of abuse, we also need to think about how to support and promote um, healthy and supportive family dynamics and um, relationships across the lifespan. Wow, that's great work and really encouraging to hear that NIJ is funding those projects. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for joining us today, Yansu. It's been a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Stacy. It's been my pleasure. To learn more about today's topic or about NIJ, visit the links in the episode description and join us for new episodes every month. Opinions or points of view expressed in this episode represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. Any products and manufacturers discussed in this episode are presented for informational purposes only and do not constitute product approval or endorsement by the U.S. Department of Justice.